Yo, what up? Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. My name is Matt Pfeiffer. I'm not going to sing for you this time because, you know, that's a special moment. Maybe Kevin will sing for you this episode. Stick around, stay tuned, and maybe you'll find out. On today's episode, we talk with our good friend, Acacia Ladd-Coca. She is a barista and manager at Crew Coffee in Saratoga Springs. Um, you might see a common theme here. We uh, have access to a lot of Crew Coffee's personnel because they're all our friends, and Kevin works for Crew. And it's cool to get inside perspectives on what it's like to work for a cafe in upstate New York in this economy. In this economy. Am I right? Um, she's got some really cool insights about what it's like to manage a cafe, but also we talked to her about her experience volunteering at festivals. Acacia is a self-proclaimed festival mom. Uh, she has a background in mental health sciences, uh, I believe counseling, and she uses that both in her day job and she goes to festivals all over the country and works in support tents for people who need a hand. Um, she volunteers at these events and basically she hands out waters. She has conversations with people who are having a hard time and she provides the care needed for people who maybe get lost in a bad trip, have a bad relationship situation, feel sick, but not sick enough to go to the medical ward. Um, it's really cool and it's something that you don't see a lot of. You don't see that out of people. Um, she has this desire to help people. And I just think that there needs to be more of that out there. So uh, she's got great stories about that life, that side of her that we don't ever see. And it's just another example of uh, the answer to the big question, what does your barista do when they go home? And that doesn't actually mean go home, eat dinner, and go to sleep. But when they're not behind the counter slinging drinks, pulling shots of espresso for you and making cool latte art. What else do they do? Do they do art? Do they have other interesting perspectives, interesting hobbies? Um, Acacia is just one of a sample size of a bajillion and we can't wait to dig into all those types of things. Last but not least, Highlight Roast number three will be available for pre-order um, on July 17th. That is a Friday. Um, Pre-orders will go live on Friday and we'll take orders through the weekend and part of the following week. And orders will be fulfilled and shipped the following week. So if you want to learn more, upstatecoffeecollective.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. DM us on Instagram. Stay connected. Love y'all. Enjoy the show. All right, Acacia, welcome to the Upstate Coffee Collective Podcast. How are you today? Good. Have a day off today, so feeling good now. You work at Crew Coffee, is that correct? I do. <laughs> we know that that's correct because you're our friend. This is our friend Acacia. Uh, Kevin and I are here at my house in my warm office together. What's up? Um, trying to battle some technical difficulties that I, I can't... I can't even pretend like they didn't happen. You know what I mean? I'm kind of sucked into it now. Kind of threw me off. Anyways, um, 
Acacia, we're so excited to have you on today. We're really stoked to learn about your journey in coffee and where you come from, where you're going, um, other things that really interest you. We're going to just hang out and drink some coffee and talk about it all. So um, I guess uh, usually with podcasts, we start with a couple of pretty straightforward questions. Who are you? How are you? And what do you do? Well, I'm Acacia. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, like I said, I have a day off after being off for two months and then working for like eight days straight or something. I don't remember. And then finally getting a day off and letting Ryan take today. I left him a list of things <laughs> to do. Let's see how he feels about it. Yeah. So that's that's pretty wild. So you obviously got you know let go like everybody else in the coffee industry for a little while they're like hey listen you know you're you're gonna be let go collect unemployment we're gonna figure this whole COVID thing out together um and now you're back and we're kind of all trying to figure out how this restart is gonna happen um it's been weird it's been great for me to come in and be able to drink espresso again because i don't have an, an espresso machine at home um, and I would say, yeah, like every time I've come into crew to grab coffee, I've seen you on bar just ripping shots, doing your thing. Yep. It's basically, you know, my normal thing. I'm once I hit my uh, what do you call it? My like groove of things. If it's busy or anything, I'm basically just a shot robot because yep. I just everything's so automatic for me now. I've been at crew for like three years now, I think. Yeah. You, it, you've been there since. They opened, right? Um, I think a little bit after they opened, like a few, like okay. probably like six months after they opened or something. Yeah. But the same year that they opened, I was there. Nice. And you've even like, you've contributed a few drinks to the menu. Yeah, I have. Um, well, and I don't know if I can actually take any ownership for the name. So just because of like trademark stuff. But uh, one day... Christy, one of our bosses, was like, we need a drink to throw on the menu. And I was like, have you ever heard of a Godfather? And she was like, no, put it on. And I was like, but don't you want to know what it is first? Ah, she's, like, she's like, no. She's like, not really. Just put it on as a special. And I was like, okay, but I'm not sure if, like, I don't think I made this drink up, just letting you know. And she's like, that's okay. I don't care. And now it's <laughs> a, like, it's a constant drink we're always making, and it's on the fixed menu. Like, it's not a special anymore. It's yeah. just tea. Um, and Christy came up with the Cardi B, but I came up with the name. That's a sweet name. Now that also ha must have to be trademarked in some way. <laughs> uh, right. But I think we spelled it differently. So I think like we could get away with uh, it. Yeah. Cause she, if she walked in the door and ordered something, she saw her name, she'd be like, yo. Yeah. Actually you can do parody clause, which is like a legal loophole that a lot of people will use. So if you spell it differently, you're pretty much in the clear. I mean, she could still probably like, take it to court and be like you have to change the name because i'm offended by a latte but who right. would do that <laughs> who's offended of a cardamom and honey latte you know not me i'm gonna dm her though see what she says okay <laughs> maybe she'll make us famous who knows that would be super sick um so i actually on the topic of specialty drinks really quick i wanted to know who um who decided to put the bullet latte on the menu that's been there since before I was there. I think it, I I don't know if it was Ryan 
Or I, you'd have to ask Luke that question because I feel okay. like it was when like the original guys that were there decided. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they wanted to bring that in because like that was around the time that it became publicly popular. Mm-hmm. You know, like the bullet coffees were huge in the racing circuit even a decade ago. Well, not a decade, but like seven years ago. So I, I admit to a level of ignorance about like your experience in coffee and how long you've been in the industry. Um, we haven't gotten to know each other super well. I hope that that changes. I hope that that changes literally today. Um, We're so on to a great start. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> My question for you, I guess, just to start off, you know, to, to give everyone a basis. Um, so right now you are you're a manager and barista at Crew, right? Yes. When did you start in coffee in general? Like how many years have you been in the business now? I want to say I'm five years in, but had a year off to like, you know, go into my field, air quotes. Mm, Yeah. Um, I worked, I started at the Happy Cappuccino in Schenectady on J Street. I love that spot. Yeah, and it's really cool because I I got to see cause I'm in Scotia now, so I'm in the area still. Um, mm-hmm. And she, it's come under new ownership, but she worked for Happy Cap after me, but for a long time. Um, she knows who my old manager was. I'm still friends with my old manager from there. She does my hair. Don't look at it now. She hasn't done it in months, but <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> come on, like look at us too. I actually, Kevin and I shaved our heads, uh, admittedly. No, I did not shave my head. I'm a monster. I've gotten two haircuts during quarantine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I haven't been in there the most recently yet, but she, uh, the girl, I think her name's Chelsea now, she um, turned it into a full vegan cafe. Their kitchen opened like last week or something. Again, I'm not going to speak for her because I don't know her personally. Oh, this is in Schenectady? Yes, right, right across from Proctor's. Oh, super cool. Yeah. So she turned into a full vegan cafe. Uh, they, they're they still slinging drinks and everything, and they changed it to Square One Cafe. Wait. Did you say it's a vegan cafe? Oh, no. Kevin. Full vegan. 100%. Yeah. No, Kev, wait. We have to finish the podcast. You can't leave yet. <laughs> That was so dramatic. But you know what? If we weren't like physically together, you couldn't. It wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't be as dramatic. You know, he literally just left the room. He lives for the drama. Oh, you fucking know he does. Yeah, please continue. Oh, but anyway, so I started there when I was um, going to Schenectady Community College to get my other degree for chemical dependency counseling. Oh, that's super interesting. Right. And then I tried to get into I got into that field, sort of the human services, mental health field for like a year. I had a terrible time with that. And then crew was like my my light at the end of the tunnel. It was I literally went to Christy. We had an interview and I was like, hi, I hate my job and I'm going crazy there. And I cry (laughs) all the time. Help me. And she was like, well, you have experience, so, like, why don't you come in for, like, a week or two of, like, a trial period, see if you like it. If you do, you can stay. And that's how I stayed. <laughs> there's there's a term in the social services industry 
for when you get fatigue. We were just talking to Catherine it's about called, this. It's called compassion fatigue, I believe. Have you heard that yeah. term? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you know, you literally got compassion fatigue. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were just like, I-, I need to do something else. <laughs> I was burnt out within a year, and I had to. I worked for like six months at one place, which was in Rutland, Vermont. And then I worked for like six months or so at a place in Saratoga. I won't mention names, but mm. that one was the one that like, I'm done for a while. Yeah, you needed a break. Understood. And then so so we definitely, uh, we're, we agree that like we're super interested in hearing more about your experience in social services, uh, counseling, so we definitely want to get into that. I want to make sure we kind of round out the coffee story and then we're going to jump back to the the social services stuff. So so you interviewed with Christy. Um, you jumped on. You obviously loved it because you've been there for years now. Yeah. Crew's an amazing place and the owners are great people. We love them. Mm-hmm. Um, so what... Kevin Kevin has a version his version of the story that he told me this afternoon about you know kind of like how you came into management he kind of like saw how you know how you had assumed a sort of managerial role you kind of knew what you were doing and you were the easily the most approachable and most effective person for him to approach um how was it from your side of the story because you had been in coffee for you know x number of years and you started to get good at it what was that inflection point um well i think after we started kind of changing over our staff you know for whatever reason people kept like the original people who were there um either they you know had to leave kind of thing or like one of our coworkers who was there uh, longer than me um she i would assume she was a good friend and she still is. Uh, she went out to do things that she actually really, really wanted to do. And I think that's once she left, I was like, well, somebody has to hold this place together. Because if we don't have any yep. kind of, if we don't have a direction, it was, you could feel the transition period with uh, the people who did leave and the people who had been there for a long time and were staying and then new people coming in. You could just feel this like, so who do I go to when I have this question or who do I ask about that or what do I do in this situation? And I would just be like, oh, well, I've experienced these situations. Yeah, I kind of came in as that transition was happening at Crew. Yeah. And what I mentioned to Matt was what I noticed was you were you were already doing what a manager does with kind of an unofficial title. Exactly. It was kind of like, it would be this this weird situation of somebody comes up, it's like, hey, do you have a manager around I could talk to? And everyone just kind of like looks at each other and looks at me. And I'm like, I have no idea what to call myself right now. So I'd be like, I'm not here. I'd be like, yeah, I'm the manager. Like for a little while, it was like a fake it till you make it kind of thing. And then totally. it was like, I've gotten way more comfortable to be like, yes, I am the manager. Like, <laughs> So I had to convince myself. That. That because I was taking on like, here's what we have to do. Like I would be training people and I would be talking to customers yep. and I, it's just doing all these things. And I'd be like, well, this is common sense that we want these things done and this is how it should be done. 
So like, and I know how to do it. Like, why not? And then I have to say that Luke definitely really helped me. Um, he's our roaster at crew and he was definitely like, love Luke. he's like always had my back and been like my cheerleader in a way. And he's always been like talking to Kyle and saying things like, he's like, Oh, in our eyes, you're our manager. You're the, you're the front of house. You. So, and then there was a point where when we were out in Burlington, when they opened Luke and I were there together working on the weekend and there was a point where he looks at Christy and he was like, hey, uh, when are we going to start getting Acacia her own business cards? And I was like, oh, thanks, Lukey. Like, <laughs> it's not happened. I don't know if it's going to actually happen. I don't really care if it does or not, I, but it was just a nice gesture. I think it will. I think uh, there was a lot of stuff that was like lined up to happen and now is pushed off to like. 2021 <laughs> right but we all know that it's because of this weird time that we all had to go through and i i don't have these expectations yeah. right now so and that's okay yeah. well I'm that's good to get through so i think it's cool to hear that luke was your cheerleader and that that stuff was going on on the back end um because i pretty much just have like especially in the space at crew i only have like professional conversations with luke and Kyle and Christy. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that was going on, but I just remember one day, like, I think we were working together and I was like, you're the manager, right? Like, I, I just look at him and I go, I think so. And he's like, Kevin was like, he, but like you do all the stuff a manager does. And I look at him and I just had this moment of like, I'm the manager. Oh, oh my God. I, I think I'm the manager. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's super sick. So um, first of all, so as somebody who doesn't work in a cafe, I got to know, like, crew seems like such a chill place. Generally, like, the vibe is that everybody is pretty happy with with their product, with their coffee, their latte, their food. Maybe a food question, like, hey, I asked for no bacon on this or something. But, like, what kinds of what kinds of situations would come up where people need to talk to a manager? Um, not very many. Sometimes it's just people talking and it's not really to a manager. It's not like they need like, you know, they come up and they're not like, I need to speak to a manager and speak about like the quality of my drink or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's just they come up and they're like, I wasn't pleased with this experience. And then it, it unfortunately, it does depend who you get and what mood they're in. You know, even me, I'm not saying that like mm -hmm. it's anyone specifically, but like, you know, if you have a bad day, I'm like, do I really want to deal with this? But like, of course. And I think I'm able to turn that on and off because of my human services background, because you deal with a lot of difficult people. And from the colleague perspective and from the client to, you know, uh, exactly. counselor perspective. Yes. So I'm able to like, OK, I don't have to immediately react and be like, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. It was like, well, let me listen to this person because you know what? I've caught myself making mistakes. I've caught myself being, no, I didn't give you decaf. Come back. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. So I know that things happen. So like maybe they're right, but the customer sure. isn't always right. But I can at least get down to the, you know, the, I don't know, get down to it and figure You're, out what their issue is. Yeah. It, it, it comes back to, although you came from an industry where compassion fatigue exists, that doesn't mean that you lose that sense of compassion 
And you're able to use that very effectively to resolve issues. Exactly. Cause you kind of have to think on your feet regardless and be like, it's one of those, is this worth my time and energy to have a, an argument with somebody over a coffee Absolutely. just, you know, even if I was right the whole time and they're wrong, which no offense out there, but that happens all the time. I'm sure it does. I'm just going to sit there and be like, you know what? If this person doesn't think I did the right thing, I'm going to happily remake their drink and I will let them watch every process of it. And then Mm -hmm. we will talk about it after. And then they'll be like, oh, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Exactly. That wasn't that difficult. (laughs) I I think it's it's hard because we grew up with the concept with that phrase that the customer is always right. And you have to tread that line carefully as a manager because you get to decide when the customer is and is not right. Um, I think it is. I think it's uh, an aspect of a manager that is either a hit or a miss. Somebody either has that quality to them or they don't. Um, and that's how I think that's one of those things that distinguishes, you know, good management from bad management uh, in a lot of ways. Kevin, you looked like you have a question. Uh, I was just, uh, it's kind of an entertaining question just to get a chuckle out, but uh, have, I'm not going to say any names or describe this person, but have you gotten the person who is never convinced that they got the right espresso for their latte and they switch it every time they're in. Do you know who I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. That's a very special encounter every time. <laughs> every time. It's one of those you see them. You don't even see him walking through the door yet. You see him pull into the parking lot and you're like, <laughs> all right, here we go. I worked for Subway restaurants years and years ago, and we had a customer very similar to that. And actually, it's I obviously I, I won't describe her or, or use, you know, her name, not that I knew her name, but we just had a name for her that was really mean. <laughs> but the <laughs> but this happened um, around the time of another it wasn't a pandemic. It was just uh, an epidemic, right? So this was like the swine flu, I believe. Around that time that swine flu was in the news, we were afraid of it. People were afraid of it. It did not pan out the way that this panned out in any in any case. But she was very concerned about it. And she would come in, like I believe every day or every other day, she was a very frequent customer um, she wore a mask, which is totally fine. We especially understand that now. Maybe back then we're like, oh, she's wearing a mask. You know? But it was just a different culture. But she uh, she would require us to wash our hands and change our gloves after every ingredient that we put on the sandwich. So what kind of meat would you like? She wants ham and cheese. Okay, so ham, pull off the gloves, wash your hands, new gloves. Cheese, pull off the gloves. So, yeah, and we would call her H1N1 lady. I use nice. there it is yeah because <laughs> she was con- she was convinced that she was gonna get swine flu from and maybe maybe her worries were warranted I'm not saying that they weren't but that was just uh, that sparked that memory that I haven't thought of for ten years. Did you just say she ordered ham? <laughs> is that what you're laughing at? <laughs> yeah. 
She's H1N1 lady. And she ordered And she's got all this fear. Oh, and she's ordering ham. She ordered swine. Uh, that might not have even been true. I, I honestly don't know if it was ham, but that was a happy coincidence. You know what? I bet it was. I bet it fucking was. Probably ham and bacon. Swine flu lady wanted a ham and bacon sandwich, and she wore a mask the whole goddamn time. Anyways, uh... That was excellent. I think this is a good place to segue. Uh, we, we have two, we have two exciting, fun questions that we like to ask uh, in the middle of our segment, or in the middle of our podcast, not the middle of our segment. Wherever we ask it all over the place. We do sometimes. We end with it. That's true. So I'm gonna back that up. Back that ass up. <laughs> that was me rewinding. <laughs> I was. Con- I, I knew what you were doing. I was Thanks. convinced. I'm glad you were just you were just trucking along with me. So, uh, during, during our podcast, we like to ask a couple questions. So the first question, Kev, do you want to ask it or do you want me to ask it? No, you can ask it. You want me to ask, uh, what's in your mug? What's in my mug? Well, in my mug that has a pot of coffee on it that says pothead. Hilarious. Thank you. Uh, I actually have, this is embarrassing cause like I drink quality coffee normally. Um, I forgot I made coffee earlier. Like at like eight o'clock this morning, mm-hmm. it got cold, and I still had some left in the pot too. So I just dumped that in there and threw some <laughs> ice on top. But it's Guatemalan, so. Oh, that's pretty badass. You know, I I've noticed that the people that we interview that work in coffee daily, uh, be when they're we usually will interview them when they're home, they actually tend to drink like lower quality coffee or at least not care so much about their coffee because you spend your whole day caring about coffee right and i know that if i when i go back into work i'm gonna have i'm gonna make something really good or i'm gonna have something that i really want that's really good with really good quality and really great machines so i'm not gonna really be picky at home with my ninja coffee maker that now doesn't work on the classic brew setting and it only works on the rich brew setting so oh my god yeah that's what I, you know, and Dom, my husband, actually um, said to me pro- a couple weeks ago, maybe, watching me make my coffee because we were basically quarantined together. And he just like, he just observes. He drinks black coffee all the time. And he's always mm-hmm. like, I'm surprised you put cream and sugar in your coffee. Like, your coffee's pretty light at home when you put cream in it. And I was like, I don't really do that at work. I only do that at home because that's how I was taught to make coffee by my mom. Cause that's what she likes to do oh. is she does a, you like know, a nostalgia some thing. Yep. A little bit of sugar. And it's really funny because I've lately, cause it's been nice out been sitting on the porch, drinking my coffee when I have the time Yeah. and just like closing your eyes in the morning. And it's like kind of chilly, but definitely warm enough to just sit out there. The smell of my cup of coffee reminds me of when we went camping in Massachusetts. Like it's insane. Oh. How that just like I was sitting there and I was like, I feel like I just woke up on the, you know, from our tent in Gloucester, Massachusetts, came out and my mom was making coffee. So, this, like, it that, just that's, weird. that story right there is like why I made wanted to make this podcast, I should say. Like coffee is one of two things for people. It's either an experience or it's, you know, like a means to an end kind of a thing, like just a habit that isn't thought about. And you you can swap between those two mindsets as a single person if you're running out the door 
you like to have coffee in the morning, it's part of your routine. You might just grab it and go. You might just hit the only setting on your Ninja coffee brewer that works, grab it and go. But the fact that, that, and actually this is kind of a different facet of like the experience of coffee that like usually when I think specialty coffee and experience, I think of really quality coffee, putting, you know, extra thought and care and effort and mindfulness into brewing the coffee but there is that other side of that, which I thought was really, really cool that for you, it's uh, the nostalgia aspect. You're creating a cup of coffee that reminds you of like your childhood or of, of years past. Um, I think that's really cool. Do you think of yourself as um, like a an experience coffee drinker or a nostalgia coffee drinker or both? I feel like both because was it... I don't know if it was you who actually came into the shop the other day and were we talking about French press coffee or no? Yeah. Yeah. That was me. You're talking about how it's like not the most convenient thing to make, but it's the whole ritual. That's the most mm-hmm. common to do is to make a French press. Cause you, it takes time and you have to be active and doing it. It's just like a pour over. Yeah. You have to be, you know, I have, we have automatic pour over machines at crew so I can just press a button and like walk away from it. But if I did a pour over at home, it's like this whole ritual that's just very calming. I love it. I, I invested in the whole kit and caboodle. Um, I don't have an espresso machine. I may, I I may take the dive one day, (laughs) but until then I have, you know, I've got a Baratza Encore. I've got a Cleta Wave. I've got a, a Chemex. I've got, you know, all the bells and whistles and I, and I buy really good coffee. And my favorite thing to do on weekends is get up in the morning and make coffee. And I tell people at work that kind of, I work in like a normal office with people who generally, you know, just drink coffee in the utilitarian kind of way. Yep. They give me funny looks for, you know, brewing coffee the way that I do. And I explain to them that, yes, the cup of coffee is objectively better than a, a pot of Folgers. Yes. But my favorite part of making coffee is making coffee. I like the process of making the coffee almost as much or more than the cup of coffee itself. Yeah. And it's like, because you put work into it and you're like, wow, look, I did a good job. Like <laughs> you get to have the you, the end result at, at when you're done making it. You're like, did I do a good job or not and stuff? But like the whole yep. time we're like okay, here's my grind and it has to be this. And what coffee will I have today? Because if you're somebody, you might have multiple different kinds of beans and you're like, ooh, what am I feeling? <laughs> like, Hey, Matt, speaking of making good coffee, what's in your mug? It's funny you mentioned that, Kev, because it's also in your mug. And we have the bag here so that we can uh, really give you the deep dive <laughs> he's he's gonna put it right in front of my face so I don't fuck it up. No, we're actually so today we're drinking Chachi coffee, um, which we tend to ah Kevin's covering up the tasting notes for me. That's really interesting. Um, Matt did a blind tasting. I did, yeah. So this morning or th- I, this afternoon when Kevin came over, I I made this coffee because he brought it over for me from um, from Matthews. Uh, well, Matt doesn't have a no. shop, does he? No, from Superior. Mer- Oh, from Soup Merch. Duh, yeah. I always get it there. So Kevin grabbed this bag from Superior Merch. He brought it over to the house. And so I was brewing it, and I decided not to look at the 
tasting notes on the bag so I could kind of come to my own conclusion and see how crazy I am. And we joke about I've got a flavor wheel that's like from another planet. We did a cupping with um, Jacob and Alejandro. Yep. And they had some really, really cool. I'm getting off topic, but they had some really, really cool uh, like lactic fermentation coffees from Nomad in Spain. And the the tasting notes that I was getting were just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like teriyaki beef jerky, like fried rice. I, I'm I'm a nut job. Maybe you were hungry too. Oh, I was definitely starving. <laughs> Any, anyways, so the coffee we're drinking today, I, I made in the Kalita way. This is uh, the Brazil Mar, uh, Brazil Maria Soraya. Did I say that right, mm-hmm. Kev? Um, and it's a natural fermentation. Uh, uh, it's a natural process coffee by touchy coffee and wow you're like kevin is like revealing each line as i talk like kevin i can read i'm vanna white bro (laughs) i don't get that reference but anyway uh yeah so this is a really cool cup of coffee i I was really surprised by it i mean i'm i'm never um i'm i'm never surprised by the quality of matt's coffees but this one he usually tends towards more like acidic coffees and this wasn't a heavy acidity this cup of coffee was like really like you know light-bodied but really clean and oh see i did get the apple right yeah this this is like us yeah the tasting notes he's got on here are soft apple guava and graceful anyways that's what we're drinking uh, i rambled a little bit but it's a really nice red catawai from touchy coffee natural process delicious it's fantastic. they always make good coffee there so they really do you know he makes yeah gross coffee yeah i love it um he, i actually i always message matt after i get a new bag and we talk about it mm-hmm. and it was really funny because it says soft apple but matt picked up on the apple right away and i did too and when i had it first even i messaged him and i'm like soft apple and he goes i don't write the tasting notes on the bag <laughs> i thought you meant soft apple as in like a specific like one of the specific kind of apples you make that's softer that like you would make applesauce with i thought i didn't oh. know like it softly tastes like coffee yeah, i mean apple that's a weird tasting note um because one it just tastes like apple like yeah that's one of the notes in it I I will say I mean if I'm if I can try to like meet them halfway it's not an intense apple flavor so maybe it's like an apple that's like over ripened a little bit you know how it's like when it's softer it's not as juicy or as like, like sour yeah maybe it's something like that I'm I'm trying I'm meeting them halfway I would definitely say it's pretty much apple but it's not an intense apple and also somebody explain to me what guava tastes like because I don't know oh it's like a tropical fruit. It's a little bit softer. I wouldn't say it's as soft as star fruit. Like star fruit has a very subtle flavor to it. Even dragon fruit has a very subtle, like subtle flavor to it. Um, guava l- leans a little toward mango. I was going to say it reminds me of fruit. mango. Yeah, it's definitely. It, I think they picked soft apple because they didn't want people to lean into the bitiness that apples can have. Mm. And then they pick guava because it's got tropical fruit notes. But, you know, 
you don't really see guava on coffee bags a lot. So some people might see that and it's like a selling point. Mm. So rather than saying just tropical fruit in general. What was, was it the geisha that we have at crew that Luke says cotton candy? Like cotton candy? You're talking about the cotton candy? What an, yeah. What an odd. So people are like, what do you mean cotton candy? And Luke's like, I, I yeah. just, that's just what it means. Like feels like to me <laughs> or something. Yeah. I, I think it was Luke. That, I think so. <laughs> It was um, Nick Rovazzini actually like makes fun of that tasting note a lot. But when I read co- cotton candy on a coffee bag, I'm actually like, oh, cool. And I, I look for that note. Yeah. Because it is a very specific type of sugar. Yep. Yeah. And really so like that to me is all just a slightly burnt sugary melty taste (laughs) yeah but it's not like caramel though yeah exactly and that happens with some of those nice natural geishas yeah yeah so i i think it's an accurate tasting note Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a polarizing one but whatever but luke's a q grader so (laughs) yeah yeah he luke's a q grader so he can he can put what he wants on it we can't (laughs) if if we try to like combat it he's like do you do you uh, do you have your certification? All right, shut the fuck up. As it's, you should. He's a sommelier of coffee, and that good for him. I will not. <laughs> yeah. I will not argue yeah. any of his wisdom on that. Do you have a fancy palate, Acacia? Like, are are you like you know how? All right, one time I'll give you an example. One time I was hanging out uh, by the bar at crew. And Kevin and I, it was like early coffee collective days. Kevin and I were sitting down. We were like cupping a coffee. And he looked over at uh, Evan. Mm-hmm. And Evan, and he was like, Evan, try this. What do you think? And he like <laughs> slurped it. He's like, hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And then he just like rattled off a bunch of like very astute tasting notes. And I was like, whoa, man, that was crazy. Are you like that? Do you think, do you have like a palate like that? I don't think so. I also, I feel like I'm a <laughs> black sheep of the crew family because I tend to go darker. So oh, that's cool. I don't, I like a lot more dark roasts and almost everybody I work with, I think they're all like light roast or bust. Like dark roast well, is stupid. Like <laughs> Yeah. It's definitely like really popular right now. Cause it's, it's slightly unexplored, maybe not anymore, but it for, you know, for years it was fairly unexplored, I think. And, and dark coffee was like, really popular especially in the u.s it was like oh dark you know dark roast italian roast french roast do you know what french roast is let me tell i mean that was a hypothetical question or what's the word (laughs) yeah Yeah, hypothetical that was rhetorical because i also like i don't i don't claim to know what french roast is but you uh, so my wife kenzie um loves dark roasted coffee and we've got a k-cup she's not uh, she she really doesn't need fancy coffee. She's perfectly fine with the K-Cup coffee. Uh, it's what we grew up with. She's totally cool with it. We uh, get this Colombian, quote-unquote, this Colombian K-Cup from Price Chopper, you know, picks kind of thing. And they were out of it one day, and so she grabbed a French roast coffee, and it was, like, even further along on the development scale. Mm-hmm. And on a whim, I tried it one day, and, like, I am not hard to please with coffee i really like i've got 
I prefer light roasted coffee. I like specialty coffee, but I really like I'll drink black coffee that's dark roasted from a K cup. I don't care. This was so bad I had to throw it out. It was so bad. Yeah. Well, I refuse K cups now. My gosh. I me, me too. I could, like, go really. I could go off for days of talking about how terrible K cups are. But well, plastic, right? Like they just ruin the environment. It's terrible the quality. The water ratio is awful. It's like so quick that there's no actual like extraction in there. It's oh, like ugh, terrible. <laughs> hey, Keisha. Yeah. We also ask people, what's your jam? What's your jam? What's my jam? Yeah, like an artist or a song that you're really into right now? I don't know, man. I So I guess what I listened to a lot of uh, especially when I didn't have a job for two months was, um, what is it? It's, I'm, let me pull it up. Uh, it's called bummed by wow. Chet Porter and Alice in Wonderland. And I love Alice in Wonderland. She is like my girl crush, like, mm. sorry, Dom. I'm sure he would agree with me, but <laughs> like I've seen her live. She is just the most amazing artist. She's a class. I believe I could be wrong. She's a classically trained cellist, um, but she's a DJ. I'll fact check uh, she that. Plays- Yo, it says it on Wikipedia, so I'm pretty sure it's true. She plays killer sets, and it's this song that's like not really doesn't sound like anything she would do. It's very like alternative rock almost instead of like electronic, and. It's just really, she's also a big advocate and talks about um, a lot of her own mental health and depression. Mm-hmm. And you can like feel that in this song, but it's a very upbeat, happy song, but it's called Bummed. Yeah, it's got like a really good chord progression to it. Have you heard it? Yeah, it is like unlike her other material. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say whenever I see her pop up on Dylan Francis's like social media anywhere, I immediately check soundcloud and see if they have a track together do that yeah they they do don't they or no they've they've played together before and there's there's been stuff that's popped up where like both of them have worked on it or like remixes yeah um but i just i love dylan francis and i love her and so whenever i see the two of them together i'm like oh maybe there's gonna be like an ep someday maybe yeah seriously though it's and it's so it's just a fun song but it's so like the lyrics to it are just like wow i do feel bummed but i'm also in a great mood listening to this song what an <laughs> odd thing to feel <laughs> like, oh man it's the story of my life i i grew up on you know 2000s emo and like even when stuff was going right even when like shit was going just fine, like I, you know, I just got back from soccer practice or whatever, and I'm, you know, my mom got me McDonald's. I'd be like, you know, oh, life sucks, and I listen to like shitty emo music. Um, Throw on that MCR, you know, dude, like a romance or something. I, oh God, what's um, uh, what's the record before the Black Parade? They're like their their first big album. Um, uh, three cheers for sweet revenge. Three cheers for sweet revenge. Yep, I that, can see the album color, cover in my brain. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that was one of my faves. That was like eighth grade. And I remember like that was around the time I was uh, learning how to play guitar. And I was, you know, toying with 
playing live for people and I can still remember like there are a couple of those songs and it's so funny because you're just like a silly little white dude with like not a lot of problems like picturing yourself playing these My Chemical Romance these theatrical dramatic emotional just distraught songs to a bunch of like your eighth grade friends then being like whoa he's so cool you know just <laughs> yeah. was that just me maybe that was just me no I don't think so I also because I'm uh super into electronic music a lot of the emo shit that I used to listen to mm-hmm. now carries over into what I listen to now. Either they're remixing old emo songs, um, they're making new ones with some old bands like that. Uh, yep. I can't think off the top of my head, but I know that I want to say Elenium, who, who sure I'm rapping right now, but oh, yeah. I think Elenium has come out with something recently that like it. I don't know. It's like I have everything in the palm of my hand when I listen to electronic music because it's all like we're we are the new emo kids. Like we grew up as emo kids and then we learned how to be DJs or something. Oh shit! Okay, yo, weird thing about Elenium. Just side note here is uh, I was I was following this like super hot girl on Instagram and turns out she's dating Elenium and I was like, damn. And she like just graduated college recently, and he's yeah, so she's... cute to her. And I, because I follow him on Instagram. Yeah, he is very good to her. It looks like <laughs> yeah. this girl. I mean, just imagine like this girl. She went to like University of Colorado or like some Colorado university, and just imagine like in between your semesters at college, like touring the world with Elenium, like just going on tour everywhere, just being backstage. And he like snuck onto the scene. I feel like maybe. I mean, he maybe he didn't because oh, yeah. I didn't listen to anything like. I like had just figured him out when I think he played at Lost Lands last year before or something, um, which is a whole festival put on by Excision. And mm-hmm. I think I saw him. He was one of the headliners of it. And I was like, who is Elenium? And I started listening to it. And it's like all I listen to almost. <laughs> That's like <laughs> my go to right now because he's yeah. just such That's the closing music. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the end of the day at crew. We turn that on. Yes. It, usually I put on excision radio time. and it gets pretty weird, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, what's your jam, buddy? Um, yeah. So you probably just saw me get up and grab my phone because we listen to a lot of music here uh, in this day and age. Right. And so I was trying to figure out, like, what is my jam lately? And there's this there's this band called mild orange um that i've been listening to like pretty nonstop. they're really really cool here's what their little tidbit says the color orange can cause one to experience a heightened sense of optimism a boost in aspiration and a stimulation of warmth and happiness mild orange is an eclectic of melting melodies and energy and vibrancy derived from a lust for smooth sounds they're made in new zealand and they're fucking awesome and anyways <laughs> they came out with a new single recently called First Taste and uh it's it's pretty tasty. So that's what I'm listening to. Nice, man. I, I you know, you definitely lean into artists that appreciate space in music. Like their chords are drawn out and like that said it has melting melodies. Like they kind of just like flow into one another. Yeah. Yeah. My jam is pretty straightforward. I was on my way over here and the song Ace 
by No Name came on, which is off his room, well, off their Room 23, like, album collab. It's a really cool hip-hop song, and I just love it. Um, Acacia, getting the wheels moving on uh, conversation again. The main reason I wanted to, like, bring you onto this podcast and talk to you is because you do something as at electronic festivals that relates to your background in social work. It requires management skills and it's something that a lot of people don't know exists. And I think it would be cool to like kind of bring it to the forefront. Can you describe what that job is that you're doing at festivals where you're taking care of people like you're you're part of a harm reduction team that's exactly what it is um so i i've only officially done it at one festival um and i think i can name names we'll we'll find out um <laughs> so last year i worked at edc Electric Daisy Carnival, Las Vegas. It's one of the biggest festivals probably in the world. And I think he last year, I think it be it did become one of the biggest festivals in the world or the biggest wow. by the numbers of attendees. You get hundreds of thousands per day. Um, I think they had somewhere around 400,000 for the entire weekend of people. Jeez, just, that's a small country. I think well, so. No, that's a small and small. These, I would fact check my numbers, but... Um, I know, but you know, there are at least, uh, at least at the very least a hundred thousand people at these festivals mm. and there, you know, something like insomniac, which is the company that, um, I technically worked for was, um, they put on, it's called what I worked for was ground control mm. and, uh, I can't speak on anything you know, official for them. I can only speak on my own experiences there. And I only mm -hmm. did it last year. I was going to do it this year, but you know, the festival scenes continue yeah. now. Oh, you don't say those aren't happening. Yeah. Weird. They are rescheduled for October, but I don't think I can, you know, do anything in October. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah. And what they, their main thing and what, I see it a lot of festivals in general because I've gone to other ones that aren't insomniac based. Um, there is a need for harm reduction and there's in the festival community, there are tons of people who believe in harm reduction. There are tons of people who practice it. Um, so it's a very, very common idea there. So it's, it's cool to be around all these people who, who believe in this one thing and really what harm reduction yep. is, is it's obviously reducing harm. It's obvious that people will use drugs and alcohol at any gathering, any event, any big music event. It doesn't matter if you're into country. It doesn't matter if you're into metal. It doesn't matter what genre. There is always um, drug and alcohol use you know, associated all the time. Yep. And for good and bad reasons. Um what my main thing is, is I have a background in chemical dependency counseling. I know the importance of reducing harm because you can't just simply look at somebody and say, 
don't do that. And they're just gonna be like, oh my God, okay, yeah, I won't. Cause they're going to, <laughs> they're just gonna be sneakier about it. And that's when it's yeah. really dangerous is when, exactly. you know, you have people who don't know what they're taking. They, they don't, you know, maybe they've never used drugs in their life and they're like, I'm gonna go all out. I'm gonna use drugs at this festival. And you're like, like, what, what do you do if you're somebody who yeah. goes there and you, you know, get into that and you're just unaware of what, what could happen? There are so many things that could happen. And it's not to scare anybody out of doing it. It's to talk them into doing it responsibly so that they yeah. at least have memories, good memories of a festival, and they get to go home alive. And that's all yeah. that really matters. I mean, that's the most important part. And I think what's really cool about that, especially like ground control, not that you can speak on behalf of the company or I can, but there's an implication that they're recognizing that no matter how many steps they take to remove harmful drug use, to remove irresponsible drug use, to remove irresponsible behavior in that regards from their event that they're putting on for people's entertainment, some people are going to do it anyway. And some of those people are going to need help. Exactly. Cause you don't know, you can be as smart as you want to be about it, but every experience for every person is very different. Um, everyone's tolerance level is very different. Um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of, you actually can't bring in testing kits into festivals there you're not allowed but you also can't find them there and you can't uh, test on site there okay. are um so there's another company i have never worked with i've only read about called dance safe and they're you know national or international i think they're chapters a bunch of places and they offer drug testing at some of the events they go to but they typically get shut down like mid event because people think that testing drugs like they take your drug and they test it to make sure that you are not taking fentanyl instead of ecstasy you know right you don't you think you bought an ex you did some, you bought ecstasy or molly most of that stuff is cut with heroin it's cut with meth it's cut with cocaine it's cut with aspirin like oh most of that stuff is not pure so if you you know, wanted to test it or something on site, you're not allowed. And we don't, you know, when I was at ground control, nobody did that. Um, they only test if you were overdose, like if you overdosed and went to the medical tent, they had like a high tech, like, um, laser essentially that could come up with the components of what was in that drug that you took. But, mm -hmm. and it helps to find, uh, drug trends. So like, <laughs> There are um, like Molly and ecstasy pills it's called Tesla and they have like a T on it and everything. And, okay. you, you know, if you if if there was like a whole bunch of overdoses on this one kind of thing, they could test that one pill and be like, so we have a whole case of people who took this one Tesla pill and it was actually found to have fentanyl in it or something. But it's okay. an after the fact kind of thing. Like it's not right. a damage has already been done. Right. Exactly. Um, just to clarify something you said, when an organization goes in to and and wants to test 
a, a drug. You said they get shut down quickly. Are you saying the organization gets shut down or the, the, the event gets shut down? The um, organization itself, like they might have a tent set mm-hmm. up. And a lot of the times, um, like what we did was we also just gave out free earplugs. We gave out condoms. We gave out um, water, water bottles for free. Right. So, right. you know, it doesn't have to do with drugs either. It has to do with just safe, being safe, just totally safe practices all around and reducing harm in any way, reducing mm-hmm. STDs or unwanted pregnancies. If you're at right. a festival where you're taking some love drugs, you know, so, totally. and it, it doesn't always have to mean drugs, but, um, some people are just drinking a lot and that's yep. it, but that's dangerous too, especially at a festival. Like you're exposed to the yeah, sun dehydration i think it's really cool that you worked that and that's separate from the medical tent because there are all these other things that happen at concerts and events and festivals like rolled ankles busted noses someone falls over and breaks a finger you know and these medics have to try and prioritize things and take care of people in a timely manner and they're going to be overwhelmed if they have to handle every issue yeah, sometimes you're just having a bad trip and you need to lay down for a bit. And you shouldn't yes, go to a yeah. medical tent for that reason because you're using up resources that could actually like potentially save a life. Or you're just feeling yep. a bit off and you just need to sit down, drink some water, and go through the motions. So Yeah, you said that there was another group called like Zen something? Um, they're I think they're the Zendo project or Project Zendo. Okay. Again, I and that's similar to ground control. They they were affiliated. We um, what I worked in was called the Oasis. It's a tent that's actually set up mm-hmm. for people to, for festival goers to come sit down on like comfy little chairs, uh, rest their feet, get out of the sun, get water if they need it. Um, you know, we most of the time people are just tired and they need a break. Uh, other times they need a break and they don't realize that they've, you know, taken too much or mixed things that shouldn't be mixed. And like, we have the power, we had the power to call med medical staff over to be like, you need to check on this person. So project Zendo or the Zendo project, um, they do a lot more with psychedelics. Oh, so like mushrooms, acid, a lot more of that. They, a lot of times if, if people are taking like acid or, anything um some people can really have because it's a very psychological drug um they can have flashbacks some people will you know realize they were abused as a child and not know it because the acid actually opened up there yeah memory and suddenly you're in a music festival and you're like freaking out because you're like that I'm going through these very, very hard feelings and they actually just mm-hmm. sit and talk with you. If, if it's, you know, an hour, six hours, you're typically so cool. fine. You know, you're not really, you don't need medical attention. It's one of those like, okay, you're going to have to sit tight and just roll through this because yep. that's the only thing you can do. So they make sure that they're safe, but they're also comfort. Like there's, they're comforted through something like that. Cause it can be really scary. Mm-hmm. How are these guys funded? I don't know. 
Um, I'm pretty sure they are non. Some of them are nonprofit. Uh, Ground control is just with Insomniac. They're just mm-hmm. for all of their um, events. That's under Insomniac. They are at their shows, kind right, of so thing. They, so they're they, not like an outward thing that can go to other places. They they are just at Insomniac events. Okay, right. So so they'll probably allocate funds to that. That I. It's becoming more and more. Uh, of a necessity, I think, at these types of events because the, you know, the the electronic music community, really just like the festival community. Again, this is coming from a place of ignorance because I'm I've never been to a festival. I, I'm and my my music tastes clearly are a little bit different from. I, I like electronic music, but I've definitely never really delved into that culture. From what I see on the outside is that drug use in in these types of environments is going to happen and people uh kind of take a pragmatic approach to it like this shit's gonna happen we might as well allocate resources to make sure that people stay safe so they can have fun because what's the other side of it it's you you staff the entire festival with police you know and then everybody like it it's just that's not fun for anybody And I mean, they, you do have a police presence at festivals, obviously, like sure, yeah. they have to do something kind of thing, but um, there's no reason why you should go there, do what you're going to do and have to be uh, arrested or feel fearful of being there and doing what you're going to do if there's another option, which yeah. is just to just be safe about it and at least have a safe space for it. Exactly. I, that's what sounds so cool about it um what brought you into doing this and it i i i'm assuming you're gonna do it in the future yeah hopefully um, i'd love to if any yeah if, if only i wish it was something i could do full-time like if it was like mm-hmm. my actual career and there are yeah. ways to do that but i gotta find those ways and i don't know what they are yeah i mean you have that background in social work and you saw this at a festival, right? If I'm correct. So when I was, I don't remember if it was, it was a couple of years ago, 2017 or 2018 or something. Um, I went to EDC Orlando just as just went with um, my husband, my now husband, Dom and my brother, Caleb. So it was just us three going to this festival. Um, and we were just, you know, wandering around and we saw this Oasis tent and I was like, that's a neat idea. We're going to have to take a nap there during this time because I'm going to be tired and I want to be like fresh for whatever <laughs> set I'm going to see tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so kept it in the back of our mind, went there to get out of the sun, uh, laid down. So Dom, Caleb and I are like chilling kind of in and out of like trying to take a nap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not nap because I just I was just like sitting there and there's this kid who was like, you know, just I just right near me. And I saw him kind of sitting and he kept like nodding off and he kept like slouching over mm-hmm. and he ruling really bad. And I was like, that's not normal drug. You I mean, like maybe he took a lot of ketamine or something, but it was just, you know. I've seen people fucked up before and there's a different, you know, you just know in your gut something's not right. So I was like, okay, he's with a bunch of people. Those are probably all of his friends, whatever. I'm going to go back to sleep, do whatever, 
couldn't sleep because I kept like, you know, side eyeing him like this kid is not okay. And I because I had just gotten out of school at that time, I was like, well, I know that time is a huge factor. So I looked at my clock and was like, it's like 430 or something. And I was like, I'm just going to like keep an eye on it. Dom and Caleb are sleeping at this point, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just, like, sitting up, just staring at this guy, just, like, worried. <laughs> and I see all these people in these uh, purple shirts with, the, like, wings, uh, like, a logo, like, looks like angel wings on their back. I'm like, what are these guys doing? These, this is so cool. And they're walking around, and they're talking to this person, talking to this person, handing out water to this person. Um, and I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I started to kind of piece together. as like, they work here. They are here for this one reason. And I just mm-hmm. like, was observing. And finally, I turned to these people because this kid, he kept getting worse. He kept nodding worse. He, or he dropped all of his stuff and didn't notice. He dropped his phone because he was passed out, but sitting up kind of. Mm-hmm. And he's drooling. And he, and I'm like, this. it's been a half hour. You're If you're drunk, you're supposed to be getting better, not worse. So if, you know anything if somebody's getting worse it's it's not a good sign but these guys were so overwhelmed with all the people there that um they didn't notice him and this group i was like hey your friend doesn't look okay and they were like we thought he was with you and i was like oh god he was alone who that is and they were like i don't know who that is like this guy's alone he does not have friends here right now oh my god finally i just sat there and I just walked up to him and I was like, hey, man, like, how you doing? Like, you having fun? And inserted myself completely in it. Dom's awake at this point, rolls his eyes at me because I can't. I just of can't him go. Is this something that you would generally do? Like- yes. <laughs> First <laughs> electronic show Dom and I went to was at Upstate Concert Hall, which is, you guys know, I'm sure, oh, yeah. is quite the divey place. The weirdest place for an electronic concert. And it was Excision. So- oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, the, the weirdest venue for that. And yeah. um, sorry, so I'm, I'm sidetracking, but the thing I was like, oh, shoot, I need to run back to the car before we got, we got in line. I have to grab the uh-huh. pack of gum. And he was like, what do you, what the fuck do you need that for? And I was like, just give me the keys, grabbed it, whatever. Went in and he was like, here, I was like, you never know who might need some gum in here. If you're rolling, your mouth is on, you're just grinding your teeth your yep in your tongue it's very uncomfortable um so it was like it's an electronic show and he was like yeah okay T- about 10 minutes into bear grills i think opened for him this girl turns to me and goes do you have any gum or anything and i was like why why yes i have a whole pack of gum <laughs> and she was like oh my god savior could I have some? And I was like, sure. She was, can my boyfriend have a piece? And I was like, girl, take all the gum you want. Dom's looking at me like, are you fucking kidding me? And I'm just like holding up in the air like, Dom, look. <laughs> like, so <laughs> I'm always, I always bring extra like granola bars, extra water. Um, I bring like ibuprofen if I can. Like I'm always bringing extra shit to festivals because I know someone might need it. Yeah. You're like the fairy godmother of harm reduction. I'm a rave mom. I have to take care of these people because like, rave like a see something, say something. Like if this person's messed up, like wouldn't I want someone to do this for me? Wouldn't I want to not just be left here alone and dying? Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's such a wonderful thing. And 
number one, I'm trying to figure out how I could work the term rave mom into the uh, into the title of this podcast. So working on that TBD. Um, I, I got to ask. So like being somebody who primarily functions as like a and we'll use your term rave mom. Like, do you it, it, and having your background in harm reduction, um, do you partake in drugs when you go to festivals or are you the sober one that hooks people up with the gum typically the sober one it's not really it's not really for any reason it's just i don't i'm i have like i have anxiety just like i take meds for anxiety so like i don't know how i feel about being on some hardcore drugs while i'm at like this huge like people fest like yeah i just i smoke a ton (laughs) of weed I don't care telling that I went to I've done Molly like five or six times in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, it was mostly at college parties, not like festivals or anything. Um, And then I did Molly one time at uh, what is it? Oh, my God. Life in Color, which came to the Times Union Center in Albany. Oh, yeah. One time there and I hadn't done it for a long time at that point. And I felt really sick. So I just like, but like, I know mm-hmm. how to listen to my body. So I sat down, drank a ton of water and like calmed myself down. I felt way better. But while mm-hmm. I was doing that, I, this is what like ignited this thing in me, I think, is I watched this group of people panic because when they have events like that at the Times Union, they don't really open up the bathrooms to anybody. They put in porta potties inside. And I watched this group of people freaking out, trying to break open a porta potty because their friend had passed out in there and locked the door. <gasps> and they couldn't they couldn't get her to wake up. Uh, I'm pretty pretty sure she left on a stretcher. I don't know, like obviously wow. what happened. And I remember sitting there, you know, starting like hitting it pretty hard, about to roll, and I'm like, that is so sad. Like, what would ha- like imagine the the fear in these people because they're trying to get their friend out of a porta potty who is not like, you know, responsible okay. at all. Yeah. Well, and they yeah, finally and that, did. But that was like probably, my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, that's probably kind of a bummer as you're like, you know, about to start rolling too. It's funny because I've never done mushrooms. I've never done psychedelics, but I'm a huge advocate for them. Because they're really, like, psychologically helpful, especially in therapy. You know, I I read a lot. I I am in the exact same boat as you. So, like, I also have a lot of anxiety. I also am medicated for anxiety. And therefore, like, I have avoided most all psychedelics. I've never done any psychedelics. And my... My extent in drugs is like is is kind of lame. Like I've like I smoked a little weed in in college and high school, um, but like the rest of it just scared the shit out of me because it's like I'm like I am, um, I, I am viable to have a panic attack sober as a priest. So why would I think that like making myself <laughs> making myself trip balls is gonna make anything better? Right. <laughs> And I've, I had that mentality for a very, very long time. Very recently, very recently, I'm like, I'm ready to do mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, because I want to have some like, for me, it's a having like inner, like back and forth with like, what do I want to do with my life kind of thing? Yeah. And I, a lot of people 
take them to kind of figure that shit out. And I think I need to figure some shit out. So I, <laughs> I will uh, pretty openly throw down because like it just blurted out of my mouth the other day in a scenario where you normally wouldn't talk about it. But I, I maybe mentioned to uh, someone that you shouldn't normally mention to that I had microdosed some shrooms recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't have anxiety and I have a pretty good experience um, with psychedelics. Fucking clearly. <laughs> I just, I just have to stop right there. You clearly don't have fucking anxiety because you woke up in the, <laughs> in the middle of the night this morning and drove to Keene Valley and hiked a mountain in the dark by yourself to see the sunrise at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Correction, I did not wake up. I did not go to bed. Worse. That's worse. That's worse. Worse, yeah. So basically <laughs> Oh, so you're you're on you're on a different kind of drug and it's called lack of sleep, which is yeah. worse well, than yeah. um, <laughs> that yes it is. There was a lot of loud music on the way back down from Keen this morning. <laughs> um but uh I will say that like having had experiences with psychedelics and being around people who have had a good time and people who have had a bad time. That's what drew me the most to when you first mentioned ground control. I'm like, that's such a great idea because usually you have like a rave mom or like the mom of the friend group, the person who's taking care of people. And I've been that person before and I could only imagine being at, a festival. I've never been in that scenario where like I'm having a bad time at a concert, but I could only imagine being there and feeling trapped by people mm-hmm. and not knowing that there's a safe space around, mm-hmm. which just makes it worse. And sometimes that's why someone leaves on a stretcher is because they have a panic attack. Exactly. And it's like you you kind of yeah. just need someone to sit there and be like calming. You need a calming person to be like it's okay. Like, let's talk about something else. Let's take our mind off of it. And that's also what we did at, um, at the festival I worked at because, yeah, you know, sometimes you literally just need to sit and talk about it. Like I remember this one girl who I was sitting with and she had taken Molly for the first time ever. She had at her very first festival ever, which was like, one oh, of the biggest lot. festivals to go that's so much to handle <laughs> as one person and she lost her friends and she was freaking out she was so scared because she was like i'm experiencing this right now i feel like i'm dying and mm-hmm. i have no friends right now i don't know where they are my phone is dead like it, so she felt completely alone completely and like thought she totally. was just gonna die alone at this place that she had never been to before and right so I sat down with her and I like, you know, we were told to only use, you know, like those little burrito blankets that the, the foil blankets they give out. Oh, at, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like snatched up one of those, even though I wasn't allowed to. She was freezing because a lot of times when you take ecstasy or something, you can't regulate your body temperature a lot, which is why you might pass out from heat exhaustion and not know it because um, you think you're cold. And you're not old. You're just your body doesn't know how to regulate temperature. She's freezing and shivering. And I just like sat there, put this around her, and I was like, "I have a Snickers in my bag. Do you want it?" And she's like, 
yeah, sure. Like, okay. And like, you, you could just tell she was terrified. She was uh-huh. fucking so scared of being where she was. And I said, Hey, I have, um, I have a, what do you, like a portable charger in my bag, mm-hmm. plug your phone in. My phone's charged. Um, mm-hmm. give me your friend's phone numbers. If you know them, let me text them for you. If I can get through, I'll let you know if I get through to anybody. And I was like, was there a meeting spot you guys came up with? Do you remember? And she was like, I think I remember. And when she felt comfortable, I sat with her for like an hour. And when she felt comfortable enough, we stood up and I was like, hey, I'm going to walk with this girl and see if she remembers where her meetup spot is. And there, mm-hmm. of course, everyone's like, that's fine. OK, just don't take too long. But cool. Go on. And I brought her and she was like, "I we got like, I could still see the entrance of our tent. And uh, she was like. Um, I need to sit down. I'm re- I, I need to sit down. Like, I'm freaking out right now. Oh. And we just sat down in the middle of the ground. I didn't give a fuck. I was like, people can walk around us. Who cares? Like, we're just, we're chilling right now. And, like, I don't know what, I think I got a hold of her friends, like, sent them a text. The one text went through to tell them where, who I was, where, who I was with, and where she could be found. Mm-hmm. And then, just out of, like, nowhere, this huge group of glitter-clad people just like beautiful people basically naked full of glitter come up and they're like i don't remember her name but they're like oh my god there you are and she Uh, starts crying and they start crying and i just got hugged by this group of people and they were like thank you for taking care of our friend she's never been to anything like this she's never done anything like and i'm like it was like you just reunited a family with their puppy like Oh, yeah. It's just one of those moments where you're just like, fuck, I did that. Here's here's a weird question, um, but it it kind of wraps the conversation into itself. So you're you're working from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. What uh, what kinds of stimulants? What kinds of stimulants are you guys taking throughout this to stay awake? Are, are you is there just a pot of coffee? What does that look like? from there please say coffee please say coffee because that would make sense well they definitely had like you know a whole pot of coffee thing even if it wasn't full they had like a um you know make your own if you want to make a whole pot of coffee go ahead like who cares uh they Mm -hmm. had that there um you did get a couple of breaks um i think you got like two or three 45 minute breaks uh, you could. They had a spot where people had to be quiet, as quiet as you can be at a festival. Sure. Um, at like the base area, and you could take a nap. I made the mistake of not taking a nap at all the first night, and like I'm pretty sure I left there with a fever. So, <laughs> like oh. you do, you literally run yourself like to death, mm-hmm. and but like you don't notice it, and a lot of it is adrenaline because there's a point where like it's slow at first and like you got people trickling in you're like the first half of it was telling people where the bathroom is where the water stations are <laughs> like oh, a lot yeah. of just, like, general information and then it mm-hmm. like it's almost like the stroke of midnight but not midnight it hits a weird time and you're like oh boy it's going down and like the adrenaline that kicks in you're like oh my god like you you have mm-hmm. to be sharp and also it does help that like I have ADD, so I also had Adderall, but legally it was mine. So, <laughs> uh, little little legal help. Yes, <laughs> I just yeah. I staggered it where I would take it as prescribed, but not the times that I was used to taking it, kind of thing. Uh, so I was just like steady the whole time. If 
if anybody listening to this wants to get into that kind of work, regardless of having a social work background, like maybe they're just like rave mom for their friend group and they hear this and they're like, oh, I want to go do that. How do you get in touch with these groups? How do you get involved with them? What I basically did was I typed in a Google how to work at EDC and it showed me. And then like, but I also remembered that it was called ground control. You basically just go to their homepage and then you have to apply, but it's Mm -hmm. not like this rigorous application. It's like, you know, why do you want to do this? They do, um, they, I think they approve you for the set for like rounds. So like first round is, Hey, we've approved you. Like you seem like a legitimate person who can function and help people. So you move on to like a second round and then that's Skype interviews. And it's just like, because they have headquarters in LA, I think. And so somebody who works there full time, you know, calls you up on Skype and they have an interview and like, why do you want to do this? Do you have any experience? And then once they approve you, you just go, you basically just wait on emails to tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. And um, you have to be CPR first aid certified a lot of it is stuff you have to pay for yourself um Mm -hmm. it's it's basically just a volunteer position i did get paid for the hours i worked there um it basically just evens out where you know it helps me pay for like my flight or my hotel after after the fact though yeah yeah um and yeah you just you basically just have to follow these different links and just sign up and go for it it's not a hard process to go through you don't do like background checks or anything it's basically it (laughs) yeah i can i can see the future of this kind of being like hey there's some background checks people are actually investing in developing this as a harm reduction that's part of the festival event officially um with actual paid members maybe who just represent that organization as like a subset yeah the larger thing yeah yeah do you think you can kind of see yourself maybe like running an outfit like that someday i would love to um my so i like did this whole experience and like again when i go to festivals anyway i do this anyway because right doesn't you don't have to be any certified person to just be a decent human being like try to not let people die in front of you Somehow that's like a, a quality though that we that that is like few and far between in people. Like the fact that we are talking about how great it is that you go and do this is it, I think that speaks volumes to how there needs to be more people like you out there in the world. And you find them at a lot of festivals. You have very much the same type of people are all congregated at festivals that that I have found in my own experience mm-hmm. and. I went to EDC Orlando this past year. It was our mini moon or honeymoon kind of thing. Oh, cool. Um, and it was in November. And there was a point where the, like, you know, a couple people ahead of us while we were watching a set, just girl collapsed and people started freaking out. And there was just like this wave of, okay, you do this, everybody move, everybody get somebody out of the way. And it was just all these people. Thousands of people just uh-huh. made a path. They opened up a path, like parting the sea of people wow. in this path. And we were actually near the sound stage, which is like in the middle of the crowd. And there's tons oh, of yeah. like 
Dom, Dom is screaming. He's a big guy. And he's waving to the camera people. They can't do anything. But he was like, we need medical now. And they were like, going like shrugging their shoulders at us. And he goes, I don't care. We need medical now. And it was, uh-huh. you have a bird's eye view. I bet you can see a medical person at the back of this crowd. You need to flag them down. And mm-hmm. what happened was two ground control people, because they have um, people roaming the entire festival to like in groups of two, the entire festival. Um, Cause like what I did, I was stationed at one place. They have people who walk around the whole time and they either get medical or they get this person out for medical. They somehow they just do it. Oh, that's and cool. We made a path for them. They got her out like so fast. Like it should have taken awesome. so long for them to get her out, and it took almost no time because you had people who understand what's going on in the culture who are all in this one place and are looking out for each other. None of them worked there yeah. except these two people who came up and you know resolved the situation and brought her to medical but it was just people being like yeah, i would say the vast we majority need, we need medical attention now we need to mm-hmm. it was you have a person in front of you pushing you out of the way saying fucking move fucking move and you're like whoa that's rude of you and then you realize there's a an issue there's something happening they're not just acting this way to be a dick like mm-hmm. and it's just a very quick like it just turns on in your brain and you know that's when you just you all kind of follow each other, but in a good way. For another like 20 minutes or so, we talked about being good to each other, um, how people at raves can really come together and take care of one another, uh, and how that translates into our personal life. Um, This podcast was getting kind of long, so I had to figure out what to cut, and I figured um, I could segue us right into some conclusions and get us on our way. I think this translates to real life too, you know, it's like, don't be like, because what, what is our culture, especially like, you know, our generation and like the generation after us is like that hustle culture. It's like, you know, don't, but what you hear a lot is, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, um, you know, but then you're dead, but then you're fucking (laughs) dead, dude. So bottom line Bottom line is we drink a lot of coffee, have a glass of water, eat your vegetables, right, Kevin? And (laughs) Kevin loves vegetables. I also love vegetables. I can't say I don't. And just be good to yourself because um, and each other other because one day you might need a rave mom, too. Absolutely. Wow. We are everywhere. (laughs) Acacia, it's been so amazing talking to you and getting to know you. Where can people find you? Uh, nowhere, no. Are you a social media person? I am a social meds person. Um, I'm on Instagram, AcaciaLC6. <laughs> uh, I'm on the old Facebook, but I don't recommend finding me there because I'm kind of a bitch on Facebook. Dude, me too. I'm such a dick. I'm like... I love it and I hate it. it I'm, I'm such a I'm such a liberal hack on Facebook, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I get into the little Facebook fights for fun, and I know that that's not a good attitude, but whatever. Thanks for listening to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. We just continued the rest of the conversation, talking shit about 
social media and how silly and liberal we are on there. Um, I really appreciate all the support. I can't believe we're already 14 episodes in. It's been a huge source of personal growth for me uh, to connect with new people, make new friends, and just expand the breadth of my knowledge in areas inside and outside of coffee. Um, Kevin and I are humbled by the support and the gratitude that we've received throughout our community and throughout the U.S. We have friends in states all across the U.S., which is pretty crazy. Um, We can't wait to show you what's next. Don't forget to rate and subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have a couple seconds and you could write a review, that would help us out tremendously. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thanks. See you in the next one.